right. Good morning. It's good to see all of you. Thanks for being here. Thanks to those of you that are in the video venue on our campus today. Thank you to all of you joining us online. Really grateful that you're here. We are finishing up a series called Prophetic Words. It's been our summer series. Uh, we went through two pr- prophetic books, Habakkuk and, and now Malachi. And we're finishing Malachi today. It will be in Malachi chapter 3, verse 16, to Malachi chapter 4, verse uh, 6. If you're new, there should be a Bible in the chair in front of you if you need one. Um, It's Malachi chapter 3, verse 16, to Malachi chapter 4, verse 6. I want to talk a little bit about the great day of the Lord. And this is what Malachi talks about. And then it's talked about consequently through the New Testament. And so it's something that we should be aware of. Uh, And I'll remind you of context that Malachi is written uh, 400 years prior to the first uh, gospel uh, words that are uttered. When John the Baptist comes on the scene and Jesus is born and begins to walk the planet, Malachi is written 400 years before that to the people of Israel Uh, to God's covenant people, and they're in a moment. They're having a season where they really believe that God is not doing his part. They're looking at God, and they're saying to God, like, why aren't you blessing us the way that we think you should bless us, and why aren't you doing it fast enough? And uh, I've asked this question every week, but I'll, I'll ask it again. Has anyone ever been there? God, why are you working on my timetable in the way that I think that you should? Uh, he, his ways are above our ways, and this is the, the point of the book of uh, Malachi. But these ancient prophetic words have really practical ramifications for our 21st century lives, and uh, that's what I want us to get into today. Uh, two things to frame this before we stand up and read the word of God. First thing is that we underestimate God's judgment of sin. We underestimate God's judgment of sin. Just hold on to that. And the second thing is that we underestimate God's steadfast love. We underestimate God's steadfast love. So if you would stand with me, we'll read Malachi chapter 3, 16 to 4, 6. If you are our guest, we say this phrase, the very words. The reason we say that is to distinguish God's word um, from my own. So Here's what it says, beginning in Malachi chapter 3, verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings." You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb 
for all of Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. You could be seated. There is, and, and I, I want to make just a couple of observations here in this last section of the, this oracle of Malachi. There is a very clear distinction in Malachi, but in all of Scripture, made between the righteous and the wicked, between the righteous and the wicked. So it is generally true that, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But there is also this distinction in the context of Scripture that some recognize their sin and turn to God, and others do not. And there's a differentiation between righteous and, and wickedness. There is always, in fact, and we see it here, there is always, in every season of God's judgment, there is always a remnant of people raised up who fear uh, the Lord. We see it uh, all through Scripture. One that I would point out to you today, Romans 11, 4 to 5, points all the way back to the time of Elijah. It says, but what is God's reply to him? I've kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Paul is telling the church at Rome there, just like God preserved for himself a remnant in the time when most of Israel was worshiping a false god, now in the time of the Roman church, God has raised up a remnant in that Roman culture who is faithful. And my assertion to you today is that in 21st century American culture, God has raised up a remnant to remain righteous and faithful to him in the culture. Now, one thing that we learn about the remnant is that when they get together and talk and turn their ways to God, God takes notice and he listens. He takes notice and he listens. Listen to Malachi chapter 3, 17 to 18 again. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day, we're talking about that great day, and we'll get to it in a minute, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. This is the one who takes note of God, who fears the Lord, and who cries out to him. Uh, in Malachi's day, there is a group of those people, and he hears them. It's interesting in Scripture, from start to finish, anytime his people cry out to him, he hears them. If you study it from Exodus, and they're in captivity, they cry out to him, and he hears them, and he raises up a deliverer, Moses, who comes and leads them into the wilderness, and in the wilderness, they grumble and they gripe, but then they cry out to him, and he brings them Joshua and brings them into a promised land. And then in the promised land, after all the fighting and the tribal distinctions and get allotment of land and all that, they cry out to him, and he gives them what they ask for, a king that's not very good, Saul, 
But then they cry out to him again, and they give him, he gives him David. He hears them. They cry out for the Messiah. The Messiah comes. He hears them. When God's people cry out to him, he hears them. An observation that I would make is that we wait too long to cry out to God. We wait too long to cry out to God. But his remnant here in the book of Malachi, it tells us um, clearly that, verse 16, that those who feared the Lord spoke with one another and the Lord paid attention and heard them and a book of remembrance was written. That is just like, write these things down. Let's not forget this moment where you've cried out to the Lord. This remnant is like a treasured possession to God. Acts Chapter 17, verse 30 and 31, it tells us the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So he's saying like this remnant that continues to be raised up from generation to generation, God is going to, from within them, raise one who everyone will look to as the Messiah, who will bring assurance, who, will, who is the appointed, and who will uh, be obvious because he's raised from the dead. Matthew chapter 25, 31 to 34. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on the right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So now we have this picture. We have a remnant in Malachi. Paul points back to this remnant issue all along the way. Now in the Gospel of Matthew, we're finding that Jesus, the one who was resurrected, is now separating the sheep from the goats, the righteous from the wicked. He's the only one that can do that. He's He's full of justice and mercy, uh, but he's the only one that can do that. And on this particular day, he's doing it like a shepherd separates the sheep, the, the remnant, the sheep, those who believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, they are uh, called blessed by the Father, and they inherit this kingdom prepared for them. But Matthew 25, 41 says, those that are wicked... The goats, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devils and angels. The devil and his angels. So just to recap, there is a clear distinction through all scripture between the righteous and the wicked. There is a remnant raised up in every season all along the way who remain righteous, who call out to God, who depend on Christ for righteousness, and there is the wicked, and the New Testament gives us this picture of sheep and goats. And it is clear there are completely different eternal destinies for the righteous and the wicked. It's very clear. Now, some of you may be saying, well, that's, that's a simple concept, like we've heard that before, but, but let me just remind you. Uh, we often underestimate God's judgment of sin. 
When you want to erase hell, you erase and underestimate God's judgment of sin. You cannot erase hell from Scripture. It's there. Gehenna, Sheol, Hades. Here we have Jesus separating the sheep from the goats uh, into eternal punishment and and the righteous into eternal life. So there is a distinction between the righteous and the wicked, and there are two different eternal destinies between the righteous and the wicked. And the righteous is often this remnant that has, has recognized sin and focused their eyes on Jesus who makes them righteous. There's a d- distinction. Don't forget, there's a distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Now, what's the practical ramification of that? Just hear me out for just a moment. There's this distinction in your family between the righteous and the wicked. There's a distinction on your street between the righteous and the wicked. There's a distinction in our city, a clear distinction between the righteous and the wicked in the eyes of God. And we have to own that. We have to understand that. We have to sense that as people of Jesus, as followers of him, uh, in two ways. One, the culture will not always go the righteous way. And two, when it doesn't go the righteous way, we have to recognize it and call out to God. There's a distinction between the right, righteous and the w- wicked. This is why Jesus calls us to be on mission with him so that the wicked can hear the good news of the gospel and be made righteous in Christ. Right? There is a distinction, a clear distinction in scripture between the righteous and the wicked. It goes against everything that the world would tell you to do to, about, about what happens later, about what's okay now. If there is a distinction, there is a judgment, and there is a judge, and he separates the sheep and the goats to different destinies. That's the, the, the scriptures. There's a distinction. But the second observation that I'd make here is that God promises a day that is a day of distinction like no other day that, that has ever been in the future. It's, it's called the great day of the Lord. It's echoed here in Malachi chapter 4, 1 to 6, and I'll call you back to it. It says, for behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. Now, is that harsh language to you? I, I, I just think we underestimate God's judgment of sin. Because I, I want it to be easier for you, but the word is, is hard when it comes to this. The day is coming, <clears throat> the day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise and healing in its wings, you shall go out leaping like calves, From the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. There is a promise from the scripture, Old and New Testament, of the great day, one day that is coming that is a day of judgment like no other. It's the same day that Joel prophesies in Joel chapter 2, 1 to 3. And there are two promises made about that day. There are, uh, there is a promise for the arrogant and the evildoer. This is the wicked category. 
There's a promise for the arrogant and the evildoer. Here are the promises. It will be day, for you that day, it will be like burning in an oven. It will be like stubble. It will set them ablaze. That's a bad day. That's a bad day. And this is the promise for all the arrogant and evildoers. John the Baptist uses this same language from Malachi chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 3, 11 to 12. Listen to what he says. He's talking about how he does baptism and, and who Jesus is that is coming. Matthew chapter 3, 11 and 12. I baptize you with the water for, for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is John the Baptist's description of Jesus, the righteous judge, the one who will make a way for everyone in the, the kingdom of darkness, everyone who's ever sinned to come into the kingdom of light. He did, does that work on the cross, but he judges sin at the end of the day. And as he judges it, it's like uh, we, the, the, the sinner, the wicked become chaff burned with unquenchable uh, fire. So this is the promise that we get about the great day of the Lord for the wicked. There is also a promise for those who fear the Lord. And we see it in Malachi chapter four, two and three. This is the good news. It says, the son of righteousness shall rise. The son of righteousness shall rise. This is a divine bearer of justice that appears like the dawn to those living in the shadow of the earth. So there are some that are righteous that ache for justice. And the son of righteousness will rise to deliver that justice to those living uh, in a land that is full of the shadow of death. You've had this thought before, probably, if you're a follower of Jesus. You've thought, as, as you've seen calamity or chaos or gone through something very difficult or, or, or suffered in your life for something that, that you shouldn't have done or, or that someone did to you, uh, you've probably thought, like, God, when will you bring this, this justice that you talk about? When will all things be made right? What are you waiting on? Well, this great day of the Lord, the promise is that the son of righteousness will rise. This is, this is that justice that will come. And when he comes, he will come with healing in his wings. Healing in its wings. So that's, a, that's not an American phrase. We don't get that. Healing in his wings. What, what is that? Well, there is this beautiful picture all through scripture of our father who is like an eagle, it's like a picture. And when he spreads his wings, there's a great shadow and those that follow him are under the shadow of his wings. So this is saying like when he comes, the Jewish people that are hearing this, they would understand this. We have a hard, harder time understanding the picture. When he comes, he will come and we will not only be under the shadow of wing, his wings, but there will be healing in his wings. And this is complete healing. This is the kind of healing that comes at the restoration of all things. Where there, there is physical healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing. This is what Jesus is, 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 is talked about in Revelation chapter 21 when it says, there will be no more tears, no more crying, no more pain anymore. The old has gone. The sin is outside the camp. 
So this is the promise to those who fear the Lord that the sun of righteousness shall rise and it shall rise with healing in its wings. And here's what you will be like on that day. So some will be like, the wicked will be like stubble or like chaff that burns, but you are going to be like calves leaping from the stall. Now, when I was a kid, I had to work in the summer. You won't believe this, but it's true. I had to work in the summer at my uh, grandfather's farm in Eider, Alabama a lot, almost every summer. And uh, I know what it is to see a calf released from the stall and jumping for joy to be out of there, trying to kick everything that is in his way or her way and uh, excitement. And that is the picture here. It's saying like, you are going to be like this calf, righteous people, released from the stall that is kicking and jumping and for joy because, because of this righteousness has, that has risen. This is utter uh, ju- jubilation. It says to those who fear the Lord that you, you will tread down the wicked. Now, this is justice for the righteous. You might think that's kind of weird. You will tread down the wicked. But here's the deal. This remnant that has lived in a broken world among broken people and has remained faithful to God, been made righteous in Christ and remained faithful to him, kept their eyes on them through the trajectory of life. They have experienced difficulty. They have experienced maybe persecution uh, by the time this great day of the Lord comes because their way is not the way of the world. And so in this moment, at the great day of the Lord, it's like this great reversal where this remnant that seemed like the smallest, the weakest, all of a sudden the roles are reversed and this remnant who has been righteous in Christ, they've been righteous Uh, made righteous in Christ, they will now have justice over all the wickedness, right? We see this also in the book of Revelation uh, as we see uh, justice executed. So these these are the promises to the righteous. They'll be like ashes under the soles of your feet. And then the promise in verse 17 it says this, this will happen on the day when I act. So this is, this is of the Lord's timing of the Lord's initiative. It's of the Lord's timing of the Lord's initiative, and you can trust it. Now, you might think to yourself, it seems so ethereal, the great day of the Lord. I can't put it on my calendar. I don't know exactly when it's going to be. But here's some things you trust the Lord for already that are way more ethereal than that, Right? Uh, you trust him for your eternal salvation already. You've said, uh, I, many of you have said, I, I, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart that God raised him from the, the dead. I didn't see that, but I'm blessed because I believe that even though I didn't see that. All that was on his own initiative. Do you know what happens the moment you die? The moment your heart stops, you have no control over anything. It's the Lord's initiative to bring you, as a follower of Jesus, to bring you across that valley of the shadow of death right into his presence. He does that work. You had no choice about the family you were born into, who you are. He did that creative work, right? So we trust him for these things. We can trust him for the great day of the Lord. It is coming. He says it's on the day when I act. So these things are true. There is a clear distinction in scripture between the righteous and the wicked. 
And there is also clearly a day coming, a great day coming, when there will be judgment, and there's a promise made to those that are in the wicked, or the goat category that we get in Matthew, and a promise made to the righteous, or the sheep category that we get. Now, what's the difference between a sheep and a goat? They're really hard to tell, sometimes. You know, in Israel, they're all in the same flock. Like, you look at them, and it's not like the sheep are over here and the goats are over there. They all, they shepherd them together, right? Here's the difference between a sheep and a goat. A goat, if I'm walking among sheep and goats, a goat will eat whatever's sticking off my backpack. <laughs> it will eat my pants. It will, it will do whatever it takes to, to, you know, a goat is a goat. It will bite you. Sheep. They, uh, they know the shepherd's voice. They, he knows their name. Uh, when he calls, they come. A goat, not so much. Uh, it's very clear. When you begin to look at this picture in the east and you watch like shepherd and sheep and goat play out, and you look at this passage of scripture, you know the difference is between a sheep and a goat. A sheep knows the shepherd's voice and hears him and obeys him, and a goat hears the shepherd's voice and does whatever he wants, right? The separation of the sheep and the goats is just like, who's your shepherd is the answer to that question. Do you know him? Do you follow him? So there is a clear distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the sheep and the goats. There's a different eternal destiny between the righteous and the wicked. And there is a great day coming, according to Malachi, according to the New Testament, a great day coming where there will be this separation and promises are made both to the righteous and to the wicked. All right, so what do we do now? What are you supposed to do with that? You ever thought about that? Like, I know that's coming, but... or. I'm struggling to think about that's coming, but what am I supposed to do with that, Pastor Brian? You read us this ancient prophecy. You told us Jesus is going to separate sheep from the goats. I get there's a distinction. What are we supposed to do that with that? Well, in the context of Malachi chapter 4, um, Malachi gives two things that the people are supposed to do, which also would apply uh, to us. The first one is in Malachi chapter 4, verse 4. He says, remember the law of my servant Moses and the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. So he's calling them back in that moment. He's calling them back to remember. He he uses uh, the name Moses, the place Horeb, and the reminder of his law. This is where Moses was given the commands at at the, the mountain of God, Mount Sinai. He calls them back to that first giving of the word, and he says, go back to my word and don't forget it. Remember my words. And this is the same thing that is also true for you and for I, that we have to be people that are constantly going back to the word and remembering the word. Do you know, when you, when you read the word and you think about the great day of the Lord and the separation of sheep and, and, the, and the goats, it heightens your understanding or your thinking about what is actually happening in reality here. But when you're just walking through life and you never read the word, you never go back to it, you become like the people of Israel and Malachi and that you forget what God said. You don't remember. It's, for some reason, it's so easy to forget what God said. Even though it's written for us, it's written on our heart, we have it in our language, the Holy Spirit directs us toward it. There's something about our flesh that just easily forgets. 
So God calls the people to go back to the Torah, go back to the law of Moses, go back to the giving of that law at Sinai and remember, remember the word. And that would be my call to you today is you, you have to be people of the book. You have to be people who go to the word, read it, think about it, remember what it says, because understanding there's a great day of the Lord, understanding that it's coming, changes how I relate to my family, to my neighbor, how I walk, what I do with my hands and my feet, all of it changes. But if I forget, I'll do whatever I want to do. I won't care about my neighbor, their eternal destiny, all of that. So remember the law. The second thing Malachi tells the people to do is to watch for Elijah. Elijah. Look at Malachi chapter 5, 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So he tells them to watch for Elijah. Well, how does that apply to us? Well, let's understand it first. Matthew chapter 11, 13 to 14 Here's what it says. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, meaning John the Baptist. And if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. So Jesus is saying, John the Baptist, who directed all the people to look at me, who prepared the way in the wilderness, he is the Elijah that is to come. At Elijah's birth, I mean, at John the Baptist's birth, listen to what it says, Luke chapter 1, 13 to 17. This is the birth of John the Baptist. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zachariah. Zachariah is John the Baptist's father. For you, your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son. This is miraculous because they've been barren. And you shall call his name John. And you have will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. So he's going to take a Nazarite vow from, from birth. He's going to be separate. The, 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 the reason he wouldn't drink wine or strong drink in that culture is because everybody drinks wine or strong drink in that culture, and it separates him. It makes him look completely different than everybody else. And if you look completely different, people watch you, and then they listen to him. And so it says uh, of this, and it's, a, it's also what's in Malachi, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So when when... Malachi tells the people of Israel 400 years before John the Baptist to watch for Elijah. Jesus then interprets that and says, hey, the one that everybody was watching for to point the way of the Messiah, this was John. He comes in the spirit and power of Elijah. So what does that mean for you? How do we watch for Elijah? Elijah has come. We know that looking back in in the, in the New Testament. What we're going to watch for is the Messiah to return. Because the scripture says very clearly that the one that was born in Bethlehem, that was crucified outside the city of Jerusalem, that rose again, has, has been raised to walk in, in this new life, and he's ascended to the right hand of, of, the, of, the, 
authority to the place of the father. And one day the father will tell him, it's time to go get your children. And that will be a great day. A great day of the Lord. We're watching for that. We're hopeful for that. There are stories, parables, accounts in the New Testament, commands in the New Testament that tell us to be people who are attentive, who are watchful, who, who know that it could happen, it could come at any time. And so we're living that particular way. We're not watching for Elijah. We're watching for the Messiah now. Okay, that's great. I'm supposed to be in the Word, and I'm supposed to watch for the Messiah. But what about, about like, tomorrow? Well, those two things, yes. But First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 to 12, it really gives us a great... Um, what do we do now? He reminds us that we're a remnant. Listen to what it says. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. This is that treasured possession that Malachi talks about, that Jesus talks about. You're, you're, the, you're the remnant, the royal priesthood, the holy nation, a people for his own possession. Can you think of yourself that way for just a moment as a follower of Jesus? You're, you're chosen. You're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. I mean, there's not one priest in this church, but there are all these people that follow Jesus. They are part of the priesthood. That, 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 that kingdom made up is a holy nation, and you're part of it as a follower of Christ, a, a person, a people for his own possession, why? So that, that's all true. Like you're his treasured possession in, in Christ. You're his remnant. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Now, if all of everything that I've just said from the scripture is true, is not the best news you've ever heard, is that once I was a goat, but now I'm a sheep, that once I was uh, a child of wickedness, but now I've been made righteous in Christ through his blood. And wouldn't you, if you realize I've gone from stubble and chaff and burning to eternal life and inheritance and promise, wouldn't I want to be somebody who's now, I was chaff, but now I'm royal priesthood, a treasured possession, a chosen uh, person in, among this chosen nation? Uh, wouldn't I want to proclaim the excellencies of my king? Who did that for me? Of course I would. Of course I would. It says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into the marvelous light. Remember this. Once you were not a people. You were not God's chosen people. You were not a chosen race. You were not a holy priesthood. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have... Once you had not received mercy, can you imagine life with no mercy from God? Think about that. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh. Just like walk a different way than the world does, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among, conduct among the Gentiles, the nations, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Like, so what do we do now? Well, we're waiting for the Messiah to return. 
We're staying in the word. We recognize our identity as a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. What do we do now? We proclaim his goodness. We proclaim his excellencies and not just from this pulpit on Sunday morning. It happens in your world, in your life, in your home, in your domain, wherever you are every day. You proclaim the excellencies. That's what we do. You and I, we keep our conduct pure. Why? Not to get to heaven. Jesus' work on the cross is the thing that gets us to heaven. We keep our conduct pure because when the time comes, when they try to speak against us as being people that are different than the rest of the world, as evildoers, we need to be able to be known for our good deeds, and, 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 and that should bring glory to God. <laughs> like, have you ever been in a situation where you, people are lying about you and you thought, they're just going to have to trust my character? I'm just going to have to, they're just going to have to have seen how I've walked and know who I am, because I can't, all that lying, I can't, I can't refute everyone. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that, but this is that. There's a time coming, you know, where people are going to say of followers of Jesus that, that, that they're everything but who they are. And what Peter is saying to the people in this, this Asia Minor culture is keep your conduct among them honorable so that, that when they speak against you as evildoers, your good deeds glorify God on the day of visitation. In other words, your life is evidence that Jesus is good in the midst of that. So we proclaim his excellencies and we walk what we talk about. That's what we do. We're waiting for his return. We can't wait. We're going to stay in the word. But now, right now, we proclaim his excellencies. And we, we, we keep our conduct above board. Amen. Okay. It's a lot. It's a mouthful. It's the book of Malachi. Um, you've... you've You've chosen, if you've made it all, all these weeks in the book of Malachi, you know more about Malachi than you thought you would ever know about Malachi. You've learned from an oracle that was given to a prophet 400 years before Jesus ever came. But you know what you discover about the Bible? It baffles me. It doesn't matter what culture I go to, what language they speak, what their background is. You open up the Bible... And you speak it to people and it applies to them right where they are. You explain that to me. That is the Holy Spirit of God. There's something different. Next week, we start a new series called Questions, or uh, you asked for it. You submitted about 100 and something questions. I chose three. Uh, the first one, <laughs> I don't want to be there forever. <clears throat> the first one is, how can we know the scripture is reliable? How come we know the scripture is reliable? I want you to come. I want you to bring somebody because the big, there is a big argument in the world today that says like, okay, that's all great, but if I'm not, I'm not starting in the same place you are, I don't believe this is reliable. So how do we know this is reliable? That's what I want to talk about next uh, Sunday. I hope that you'll be here. I want you to bow your head and uh, close your eyes and just ask God to speak to you. Father, we are people grateful for your word. 
grateful for your spirit that opens our eyes and ears to hear. And Father, I pray for all my brothers and sisters, my friends, my family that have heard this word from Malachi. God, I pray that you would just continue to use it in their life, even as they think about it today, talk about it in groups, talk about it at home. God, I pray that you would draw us closer to you. Thank you that we know you, that we can hear your voice. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us and giving yourself for us. Father, I do pray for anyone here today who feels far from you, for whatever reason. I pray that by your Holy Spirit that you would draw them in your kindness to repentance, that they could trust you for the forgiveness of sin, that they could trust you for salvation and new life. Help them to believe that you died on a cross to save them from from their sin. Help them to believe that you raised again. Help them to know that you did that to glorify your Father and to because because you love them. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.